Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Washington Post reporter Alahe Zade is about her most recent piece in the Washington Post. These beloved new satire sites were struggling to stay afloat, so they're banding together. Uh, I'm a fan of the hard times they've been on my other show, so it made sense to talk to Alahe, who's been on the show many, many times over many, many years, sometimes as a performer, sometimes just as a guest. Most recently, before this, uh, was about her writing, also in the Washington Post, about something a little bit more fun, but because it's 2020, things aren't fun, and because it's 2020, that's why we have a Patreon account you can consider donating at youmethemeverybody.com in the podcast description, and if you're listening to this on Spotify, please go to youmethemeverybody.com to find the link to Patreon. Here's the show. Number one, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm employed. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I relate to a lot of the pieces you've been writing uh, <laughs> for horrible reasons. So um, the last time we spoke on You, Me, Them, Everybody, uh, you had just recently written a, a really cool magazine feature on a cast member for SNL and you traveled to a different city and he was traveling to different cities and it was about a live show taped in front of an audience. People could probably figure it out by now. Uh, and no one has shows anymore and no one could travel. So how has your life changed since the global pandemic began? Well, I guess for my work, it's changed in that I used to write a lot about, um, pop culture and comedy specifically. And since the pandemic hit, you know, a lot of reporters across across media have been doing different things. Um, and so I've been covering news media, actually, um, since the pandemic began, which means, you know, I'm like watching a lot of cable news. I'm paying attention to what's going on to the newspaper industry, what's going on to digital media. Um, so my reporting has changed and I'm not traveling to do it. Um, and yeah, I, <laughs> I'm kind of a nomad right now myself in terms of my, my living situation. I don't care to disclose where I am, but I'm, I'm staying with my family. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah. And it's just been a lot of, you know, there's a lot of news working a lot, but it's strange because, um, yeah, we're just all doing it from home. Yeah. So, and the reason why I reached out is because was it yesterday? I think, um, I, I was reading the Washington Post, as one does, and these beloved news satire sites were struggling to stay afloat, so they're banding together. A piece that you wrote uh, covers some of the 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 comedy pieces that people that you would have covered maybe a year ago. It's got reductors. It's got the hard times. They're banding together to salvage their themselves. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, some of the sites... Um like a site like Reductus, they had already experimented with online workshops and that sort of thing. And, and that, that helps supplement the ads that they received. But essentially, like all of them confronted the same dilemma, which is the model of making money from um, automatic ads on your websites. Um, that model is no longer really viable. Um, and so they're trying to figure out a future where they can still do satire, where they can pay their writers, and they can hopefully remove some of these ads from their websites altogether. So I thought it was really interesting because, um, you know, they're, they're very different. Like, there's all these niche websites. There's, like, a new satire site for, from, like, a military perspective. There's one just, like, fake Broadway news. There's regional ones. Um, there's ones in different countries and different cities around the world. 
Um, and so they've decided to sort of band together where they can still do their own thing. They're still independently run. They're not bought up by like one corporate owner um, and not beholden to that, but essentially creating a membership network where people can pay $5 a month. And then depending on which websites they go to and how long they stay on those websites, those websites get a cut of that money. I initially thought, this is a crazy idea. This will never work. But then, in, but Defector, uh, launched by the, the Deadspin, uh, former folks from Deadspin, got a lot of money right away. They haven't even launched yet. They just uh, put out the call like, hey, we're going to launch this thing. They raised a ton of money. I know you're not an opinion writer, but do you think this has a chance to succeed? Well, what's interesting about the Deadspin, the former Deadspin um, folks and doing Defector is that they have like a total paywall, is my understanding, right? Well, they haven't launched um, anything yet. So, we don't, I don't think that we actually know what they have yet because it says podcast in August, site in September. It, 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 right. Yeah, we, I, I don't know. Right. And I think it's uh, like $8 a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think yeah. that demonstrates... Um, you know, people online were really concerned when, when they basically, all the Deadspin, Deadspin writers resigned in protest, um, and they were fans of their website. And so I think that does represent, you know, is this a viable alternative, kind of more like old school, convincing people mm-hmm. to pay for, for the things they like to consume. Um, and, you know, it's interesting with, like, satire and comedy specifically because, People, I'm assuming, subscribe to news organizations because they feel like it's important to support this or it's, you know, providing me with essential or valuable information. Um, and satire and comedy, they might have to make a different sort of pitch to people, mm-hmm. um, almost more in line with like how you would support an artist, a musician or, um, or anyone like that who you just want to support their work Um but for whatever reason, you know, like Patreon and all these other platforms, you know, publishers have told me like they don't work so well for publishing for, for whatever reason. And so this is kind of like an in-between of, you know, subscribe to uh, a news outlet or a website or even like a streaming service. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, do it because these sites matter to you and you like the work that they do. I am, and you want to support them. Oh, absolutely. I am so fascinated to see how this all looks. Let's say Biden's elected. How, how do the media landscape looks in December uh, forward? Because um, like him or hate him, the current president of the United States does get a lot of eyeballs on a lot of cable news uh, networks and certain sites. Once that goes away, once things are quote-unquote back to normal, uh, with the pandemic still going, I'm interested to see what media is consumed. What are we going to gravitate towards? Yeah, and it's unclear still, you know, exactly what's going to happen in November. But regardless of what happens, we're seeing what's happening in the economy. Mm-hmm. And even though a lot of people are consuming more news than ever, like a lot of websites are reporting record readership, same with cable news. Um, the revenue side, it's like this weird dynamic where the demand is there, but, um, you know, making money from advertisements isn't as a viable option for people, um, for, for these organizations and these companies. Um, like, you know, I did a story several months ago in the beginning of the pandemic with Snopes and Snopes, you know, the fact checking website was like, we're having more people read us than ever, but we're not making, we're making less money. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, 
I think that like that is the question to me is like come in a year from now in December, whenever, how many news organizations, how what kind of media companies are still going to be around? Yeah. Which ones will have launched? Um, will people be able to pay for them? Because we're seeing what's happening with just people being ability to make money. Um, I think there's just so much unknown right now. And it's a time of great upheaval. I think one of the most troubling things that's happening is what's happening to local news outlets, because those are the ones that are providing the sorts of information you can't get from like cable news or national newspapers or media organizations about, you know, COVID, the pandemic and what's happening like within your own community. Um, And those ones have been maybe the most hard hit by the economic downturn spurred by the pandemic. Which That's what me, I'm most worried about, I oh, guess. Oh, yeah. Which reminds me of the piece that you wrote on July 7th, four takeaways from the PPP loans to media companies that show the far-reaching toll of the pandemic. You point out in this piece that a lot of those local organizations are under a giant media umbrella that's owned by somebody else, so they yes. maybe weren't even eligible for PPP loans. Exactly. And that was a, a, a sort of, uh, I don't know where I want to say oversight, but that was a point that some of these newspapers came together to lobby lawmakers to make an exception for them and that didn't happen and so you know you have like a lot of people are like oh my local newspaper may not know it's owned by Gannett which is like the biggest newspaper Mm -hmm. company in the country and because of that they can't qualify but a lot of these like big companies um, with like venture capitalist ownerships they have been instituting furloughs and, and layoffs and that sort of thing. And so imagine just like the stories that aren't being covered because there's just journalists not on the job to do that. So even like, even with PPP loans, which we're seeing like how effective the, you know, I think those were only for eight weeks and then there was an, there were additional rounds. I mean, even be, even with that short period of time, like, yeah, if any other sort of uh, financial, infusion to the to to small businesses in general if that comes around like a lot of newspapers are just in that weird situation yeah and that's not even to set, include like uh tv stations local yeah. news stations well you mentioned in that piece that bez the npr for chicago like they had to furlough tw- they had to like go 12 people just that's the, after they received some money from some loans too yeah. There's yeah. no winning right now. No one's, I mean, some people are doing really well, good for them, but that's not the majority of uh, people. These two stories to me are, are, are clearly tied together because um, I think it's fair to say The Onion is the most successful satire site of our lifetime. And The Onion uh, was sold to Univision in, in 2016, and now The Onion is not really The Onion anymore. It's still The Onion, but the AV Club and The Onion, it's it's a different thing than when it started in Madison. It's, I think it's for the worst. Some people would say it's for the better because of the reach. That doesn't really matter. The point is this. There seems to be no middle ground anymore. It's either we're this small ragtag group of people that are independent and we're struggling or we're part of this giant umbrella. And because we're part of this giant umbrella, you don't get local news anymore. You didn't even know you were owned by them. And I know I'm oversimplifying it. Of course I'm oversimplifying it. But it seems that there is no middle and... Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm right. Is there a middle right now that's thriving or just doing okay? Yeah, I don't know. I think most of, I have to go back and look, but I think like there's an estimation of two thirds of local newspapers are owned by, 
are, 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 you know, part of these bigger companies. Um, I have to go back and look that up. But, I mean, there are some papers that are still family-owned. If we're just talking like local newspapers, mm-hmm. for instance, um, there are some that are family-owned um, or, you know, just like a small, a small newspaper groups. Um, I did write this other story, which <laughs> uh, I think it was like a month or two ago about the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Mm-hmm. That is a family-owned newspaper, but... What's going on there is just that the relationship that the management and the staff at that newspaper have right now um, is probably the most toxic relationship right now in American media. So even in those situations, like it's not always so rosy. That's the newspaper that maybe some people will remember. Um, One of the paper's few black reporters, Alexis Johnson, was barred from covering protests because she posted this like funny tweet um, sort of mocking uh, hysteria over rioters. and comparing them to like people who went to a Kenny Chesney concert and tailgate. Um, and so what's going on at that? And it's basically escalated since yeah. then. So that's an example of a small newspaper owned or just a newspaper that's family owned, a big, big newspaper important for, for the community that won a Pulitzer for its coverage of the tree of life massacre just, just the year before or two years before. Um, but you know, other papers, for instance, that receive some PPP loans, include the Seattle Times. Um, and there's also other sort of models, like the nonprofit model. You can look at something like the Texas Tribune. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of grim. <laughs> I'd recommend people to read um, our media columnist's new book, uh, the, the new book by Margaret Sullivan. She gets into what's happening, um, especially with local newspapers. And does a dissects it <laughs> this is probably a very silly question but are you glad you're at the washington post am i glad am i at the washington post yeah. is that what you just asked yeah yeah totally yeah there's like I, I two mean... papers that aren't dying right now so it's probably nice to be at one of them yeah i mean i'm enjoying the work i'm doing now i was just kind of thrown onto this beat um but i enjoyed the work even though it's really challenging i think you know we're in a position to do some stories it's interesting covering media and all of the stories that are coming up while you're also working within one of the big players and so that's like an interesting dynamic too um but yeah i mean most of the journalists and people i talk to for my for stories are like grateful that we're writing these pieces um so i'm glad that i don't have to like worry about a furlough you know that's not true for most of the people in my industry right now uh i feel like we should try to end with something positive but it's very difficult when you're talking about media in 2020 and positivity other than like horrible covid stats so um uh i'm trying to think of one positive thing to end with it doesn't have to be about the media either uh well i can just say that one of the things that i enjoyed about writing uh the satire story about the news websites was i like just combed through so many of them and like pulled out headlines to like show examples of the range of the types of stuff they did and it was just like I was like oh yeah one can do this too yeah. <laughs> you can like go read all of these like hilarious um hilarious posts like so like specific too right well those exist for um, now yeah. <laughs> so, well, and you know, pe- people people need it, right? Of like, course. like you're trying to add on something positive. People need this stuff too. It's very cathartic. Uh, 